Welcome to Your Right to Speak, discussion on social justice and advocacy. This is episode 57, and I'm your host, Salvatore. On today's episode, this is a continuation from the previous episode we did with Chris coming back as a guest. <laughs> Thank you again for being part of the conversation. Um, you know, we had such a rich conversation before that I just didn't want to end it there. So uh, let's continue on what we were talking about. Uh, I know I noticed I we talked about some stuff over our break together um, that we can bring into the conversation. Um, I think what I kind of want to turn the conversation a little bit to is what um, what do you find to be the most important quality for either a social worker, a foster parent, or a child and youth practitioner to have? What, what do you think makes a good worker? I think we talked, like in the last episode, we, we touched on it, like really just empathy, right? Being mm. able to just know, remember what it's like to be a child, have that same sort of like uh, showing that compassion to, that, to the child to know that like, hey, things are, things aren't always going to be this way. Like they're going to get better. I'm going to do everything in my power that I can. When it comes to the social, like your foster parents, it's the same thing. It's just just being empathetic and knowing that like, oh, whether it's like, oh, you did bad in school or like you had a crush and, sh- and they didn't reciprocate, right? And like having a conversation about that and just being able to know that like the child, developing that space for the child to know that they're going to have a positive relationship with their service provider and knowing that it's not just a transactionary relationship and it really is just like you're looking out for me you want to see me do well and because of that i feel really grateful to be around you and i want you to always be happy and let's have good things you know yeah and i think just to add on that like i think workers sometimes need to understand that it's going to take some time to build a relationship depending on the setting right now you know i'm currently working at a youth shelter in the past i've worked at a youth drop-in center it takes time to build relationships with like 70 50 to 70 youth like it's going to take time um, and you may not build a relationship with everyone and i think sometimes workers kind of forget that and they try to rush and are um, not authentic in being who they are with that young person and they're pretending to like all these different things and it's not about that right it's just being who you are as a person naturally and then going from there because the, at that point the young person's going to realize that you're bullshitting them oh can i say bullshit okay. <laughs> you already <laughs> <like> said it <laughs> <laughs> the young person's going to realize you know that you're you're not authentic in that relationship and they're going to feed into that um yeah, I, I think that's such an important piece. I didn't realize that when I was, you know, in school. I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. But being in the field for the time that I've been in the field, not as long as Wolfgang, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you realize very quickly that it takes time um, and it's just about being your authentic self. And at that point, then the relationship's going to naturally grow. Yeah, no, for sure. I think that like when I worked at the Ontario Child Advocate Office on Bill 89, 
Like one of the biggest things that I always like, not even just me, like actually like, it was like the, 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 the cornerstone of, of every discussion was about like accountability and making sure that the service providers and the lives are aware of like every, everything that happens, all their actions like equate to like this child perceiving them differently, this child interacting with them, going into the world and interacting with other people differently as well. And, um, a lot of the discussions that we had were around like, what are the, like, we know the roles of the service providers from like a baseline, but what are their actual roles in relation to developing that child's character and that child's capacity? And we spent a lot of time defining that and having conversations about that. And we realized that like, it really is just, you have to like, you can't legislate love you can't legislate care erwin has said this many times but being able to find out the the most effective ways to maximize everyone's role in the child's life is is the only way that a child knows that like you're not bullshitting me yeah. and that like you are trying to be as authentic and genuine as possible and i know that like everything that you're doing is not just because oh you want to just get something done with and over with right um and yeah, we, we had like, we had a lot of conversations that led to us like forming like, uh, and like helping like suggest like, uh, regulations to make it easier for like social workers to be able to have more meaningful engagements with their, with their, with their, uh, youth in a safe way that made them feel comfortable, still respected a privacy for the child and like ensure that there was accountability on every level that you, you knew that like even though this like we've modified this legislation to make it easier this the accountability is still there and that like at every point like the ministry still has to be aware of what's going on and that like you there's no gaps in the system and that every at every point everyone is is doing their job to help the gun people i think you know speaking of legislation i think one of my biggest critiques, and I don't know the answer to the solution to this, is that often, you know, we'll have legislation or we'll have policies in place, and it's, it doesn't translate well on the front line and in the everyday lives of young people. And it kind of corners the worker, yeah, kind of corners the worker into a tough spot because they have to follow certain things, but they know that it's not going to work, Yeah. right? And there's, on, there's only so much flexibility you can do with like legislation and policy, right? There's, I, you can read it as much as you can and find as many loopholes, but you can only go so far with that. Exactly. Like one of the, one of the biggest things, like we had, we had a person, a policy writer come in one of our, during one of our sessions actually like explain to us that legislation that gets passed is like law, but is also used for interpreted, interpretive purposes to be able to like you can flex things within it as long as they're like within the parameters and we we we, we when we were when we were there like we we realized that like at every point like the workers the social workers who have done like above and beyond like not even above and beyond who've actually just like helped children right have had to like operate in what you said that like, gray area and like bending those rules and trying to like push the boundaries as much as possible to be able to just make sure that the child feels safe that child feels like they're, they're being served.
So I want to kind of turn the conversation a little bit to advocacy work because mm-hmm. we've both done quite a bit of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I've never really talked about myself that much. But <laughs> 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 what have you found um, a valuable lesson that you've learned in your advocacy work? What have you found to be most effective in advocating? So I. I don't know if advocacy was always a part of me um, just because of the way that I am. I've always been a person to like, don't get me wrong, be in the spotlight is cool when like when you're ready for it and like and, and you want and you want the attention. But I've always been in the in the camp of promoting others and like elevating like their discussions and like their ideas. Like although I have ideas for my own and sometimes like I'll, I'll share them with them and like maybe maybe they talk about them as well. But that was always like I was always just like making videos for other people doing like uh, music editing for other people and that stuff and it kind of just like when when I started to do advocacy work I realized that like I enjoy taking this backseat role of being around and being a listener and sometimes interjecting and giving my own opinion but really taking the time and giving the space to the people who I want to showcase to actually express their ideas and their ideologies. And when it, when it came to like working at the advocate office, like it was a really, really easy transition for me. I'd already been doing volunteer work um, like with, with the office for a while, um, work, uh, volunteer work with the uh, Windsor CAS um, and, their, and their foundation. And it all kind of made me realize it was like, okay, as long as I continue to hold to my convictions and hold to like my moral standards and like make sure that like as long as I like within like my my like my my zone of comfort like promote like the discussions and the ideas that I believe in my ideas are getting like thrown out there and my ideas are are are, are filling the world and like and and people are listening to that as well I spent a lot of time, like when I was, like when I aged out of care, actually um, mentoring younger foster children who were in, like who did either the camera club or were part of the, uh, the youth advisory committee for the Windsor CAS in like telling them like potential like uh, paths and, um, uh, and like opportunities that were available to them and listening to them about like their aspirations and their dreams and, like, and, and the things that made them feel uncomfortable and the things that, made th- that they were worried about. And being able to have that, that be able to be that role in someone else's life was really humbling. And I really appreciated that. Yeah. I, uh, I was there in the beginning of my advocacy career, but not quite there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in my early years, I was the person that, and there is a space for this type of advocacy, but I was that person that was like knocking on doors and like, let's protest everything and like <laughs> fully shake up the system. Yeah, I was and, way more chill. Yeah, yeah. I, I was, you know, let's go on the news. Let's like shine a light on everything. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there is a space for that. But I quickly learned that the method that I preferred was just planting the seed. Yeah. I think, you know, it, it's fine to do protests and it's great. But for me, it's about just planting that seed and just letting it grow a bit. That's for me where I think true change can happen because mm-hmm. that's when you're really changing a person's perspective is exactly. letting them reflect on that. And you can plant that seed through protests, of course. But <laughs> yeah, it, 
you know, it's, it's a little bit different. Um, I've always been that backseat person, though, that, you know, even in my early years where I was organizing big events and trying to shine a light on stuff, I've always been that person that's like, I'm behind the scenes. This is not about me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if I'm being honest, I, I did struggle with that a little bit because you do want some recognition for the work that you do. Right. Mm -hmm. And you do want someone to notice that you're doing all this hard work. <laughs> yeah. Right. But you also want to be behind the scenes. So like, I'll go into my, my communications background and how I think that like kind of like changed like my, the way how I approach advocacy. But like when I, when I was like 17, like 18, like aging out of foster care, a lot of advocacy opportunities came to me for me to be able to be like the, the spotlight. Like I spoke at like, um, like, uh, investor events at like the Children's Aid Foundation. I was a part of like the residential youth panel as a part of the um, like the hair story team as well. And like I like one of my first things that I actually did was actually work on the um, the anti-black. I, I talked at the anti-black racism uh, directorate uh, conference back in 27 back in 2016 when that was like starting to like kind of like roll and like people were having conversations. The OACAS was it was involved like other like uh agencies were sending like uh like practitioners in to actually discuss about like anti-black racism in different areas of the province and like i spoke in front of 500 people in like my first couple of months of doing like actual advocacy work and i realized i'm like this is cool but mm. and it's not even like i'm worried about talking in front of a lot of people it's it was just like this is happening way too quickly and i also don't like i i i at a point in time my 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 ego got me i was like oh yeah like i'm going i'm going away like people are like sending me to like these conferences and i'm talking about this stuff and i was like oh, okay like don't lose yourself chris you got to remember like this isn't about like yes it's your career and yes like you're laying the groundwork for what's going to happen to you in the future but like this is not about you this is really about the message that you're trying to get across and that that conversation with myself made me really reaffirm that like take the back seat like develop this like make this space for other people to have those conversations even if you have the same ideas as them because yeah. it's not it shouldn't be you all the time yeah i agree i think also because you're speaking to some of the stuff that i would call tokenism yeah no exactly yeah <laughs> and you know i think I struggle with tokenism because where i struggle with it is sometimes and someone said this to me and it has stuck with me is it's needed. Tokenism is needed for James, funding. Did James say that? No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, James. <laughs> I, you know, I heard it from, uh, he, he and some other youth came to guest speak at my, um, program at Humber. Oh, and it was one of those youth that said this to me. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I'm wondering if he's, that's, that it's, comment stuck with him too. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think that he's, I, I don't know if he said it or so. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I get it though. Yeah. Like, and you know, it's true. Yeah. I mean, speaking from a funding perspective, funders do want to hear these stories and you do have to pull on the heartstrings for sure to get money. That's yeah. just how it is. However, the, where I struggle with it is, is I don't believe in tokenism, <laughs> right? But it's also needed. Yeah. And, you know, back when I was at the advocate's office working on We Have Something to Say, I really made it clear to myself. And I was strategic. I think I was strategic enough to try to position myself not to be tokenistic because sometimes the advocate's office did do it for 
a variety amount of reasons yeah. and needs. Um, but I made for sure that I was not always that person. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I can only tell my story with a disability so many times. And it's the same story over and over. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some people are still, you know, hearing the same story over and over. It's time to hear other people's perspectives. Exactly. But it is a struggle. Yeah, it is. Like, I think that one of the perfect examples of quote unquote tokenism for the Ontario Child Advocate, well, I, I don't even want to say it's the Ontario Child Advocate because it really is Toronto CAS Foundation. 514 talks yes. that happened that actually got canceled this year. Yeah. So they're not doing 514 this year. I don't think they did it. Yeah, they're not doing 514 this year. And it's probably because the Ontario Child Advocate office doesn't exist. And I, I, I will call CAS out on that for, for doing that because I think that it is, even though tokenized event I'll, I'll go into it yeah so like the event would pretty much happen on like a couple days before child youth and care day which got uh mandated by actually by the ontario child advocate office which is great um and uh they would bring speakers from across the country from across the world to come in and talk and it was really like although it was a day to talk and promote like the ideas and the thoughts of young people because it was around like child youth and care day it really did turn into an investors event where it's like a foundation and it is run by the foundation and they do need sponsors and something like that but i remember one of my first experiences at a 514 event was the uh the announcement of like the telus employment opportunity no 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 it was the rbc employment opportunity and when i read everything about it i realized i'm like there's no guarantee like the jobs that they're that they're establishing for people don't provide the thing that they actually need which is stability and security right and it's like even if you make jobs and like yes like there you have 20,000 young people across the province who are required by law to be served by you guys but it's like you can't like 20,000 jobs aren't going to come out of nowhere but you also can't just say the jobs are going to come and then in the fine print, it's a six-month contract, and they're getting paid minimum wage, and a part of the and a part of the paycheck that would actually be going to their full pay is actually going to help fund the 514 event because Telus is like whatever the company is funding and providing the the, the the funding for this event. So you're just like already you're putting youth at a disadvantage, and you're lying to them by saying that this is something that is a great opportunity and oh we've worked so hard for this and da 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 but it really is just like this is a, a social a social responsive uh, responsibility for these organizations to do and they don't they're thinking about spending their like their fiscal funds and like this is just like the children are just a catalyst of it right they're just a byproduct of it and they don't really realize how like how much that really hurt people and when i when i when I realized that, like I went to another 514 event in 2018 and it was, it wasn't like, it wasn't the same, but it was very much like the tokenism is there. You, you preach and you say, oh, the struggles of young people. Oh, the, uh, like they're so strong. They're so resilient. They have such strength, such character, but you don't do anything to help them. Yeah, it's kind of put like money where your mouth is. Exactly. Right? Like you're speaking it, but show it through actions. Exactly. And then action isn't like, oh, we're going to pay for your phone bill. You should be paying for our phone bills regardless. Mm -hmm. It's like uh, helping us, actually providing us like resources to be able to like get jobs and like understand us like, so we don't have to be in these six month contract positions because like six months is not a guarantee. That's not life, right? Especially when my life ends at 18 with you guys and then I just get money for the next three years, right? It's like, how does that work? Yeah. <laughs>
Well, yeah, and it's about finding that meaningful employment. It's exactly. not just about getting a job. It's about making sure, like you're saying, it's that building capacity, yeah. pushing your career forward, understanding and personal developing yourself. But I'll tell you that I suspect that, you know, the people that have come up with that program are probably thinking, oh, well, at least we're giving youth experience. Yeah, no, 100%. <laughs> Which, you know, I think is a bit of a cop out. Yeah, but but my my thing is like, if that if that is the case, then you should be providing these experiences to 15, 16 and 17 year olds right. and, and getting them on the jump because improve like focusing on their capacity building at a younger age. Like, it's not like I shouldn't have to learn financial literacy three months before I age out of care. Like that doesn't make any sense. I shouldn't have to understand to do like grant and like and, and college applications like within my last year and being in care. Like these should be conversation and like and the thing is, is it's it doesn't make any sense because children in these systems like have like follow up meetings. They have meetings like on a regular basis talking about their goals and their future. But these things never come up like on a, in a meaningful way to actually prepare a person. Everything like when you turn seventeen, that year. That is your biggest year. That is your final year of high school. And that is your final year in foster care, like living under like the rule of other people. And like for most people that are eight or 17, they don't go through that. They don't realize like it's like you become an adult in a couple of months and you're going to have to make your own decisions. And there's going to be an influx of money that comes to you. And you're going to have to figure out what to do with this. And you're going to and you have to survive for the next 60 years. I mean, really what should be happening, and it's unfortunate, but as soon as a young person, I don't want to say as soon as, but when a young person hits a certain age in care, let's say 15, mm -hmm. that's when discharge and like aging out should be discussed. Exactly. Right? I think at the, the, the moment, I remember... Jeez, <laughs> I remember when I was a kid. I used to be a very, very like. Uh, I mean, I'll say it, I was a troublesome kid. You um, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I used to have like meetings where like I would be in the vice principal's office, and there would be a police officer there, and like they'd be like, "When you turn fourteen, you are you're able to be tried as an adult, or like, or sorry, fifteen, I think, right? Yeah, and like, if you're telling a twelve year old that that like you should be having conversations about like what being an adult is and like actually like setting them up for success rather than just scaring them and like yep yeah you know it, it's kind of like you know and so the group home that i worked at the young person i was primary to oh god she's gonna get mad at me if i forget her age but i think she moved in at 17 mm -hmm. that's rough yeah, so she can live there until 18, and then you can apply for an extension, yeah. and yada, yada, yada. However, as, as soon as she moved in, it, it's, you know, from the worker's perspective, sometimes it is difficult, because, like, I'm working with this young person, and before I even work on goals, for me, it's about that relationship building, of right? Of course. So I'm trying to do that. I'm, the goals are important, because we got to get that on track, because they're going to be discharged or age out very soon. And then you got to bring up the conversation of what's living alone going to look like for you all within a few months. And, it, you know, it's hard, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, and it's hard for the worker. It's hard for the young person because that's like a huge like yeah. blow, mm -hmm. I think. I think one of the best things that the 514 talks were able to do in an advocacy sense is actually promote the conversation about increasing the age of, uh, of, of the exit age of care and actually like 514 single-handedly pushed the age of acceptance into care from 16 to seven, like to like 18 um just from this conversations that it had 
And I think that like that shows like even though there is tokenism utilized in the overall process, like something positive came out of it. And it was a matter of like assisting young people and making sure that like because for the longest time that I would I would know like you would know a kid who's like 17, they're getting like physically abused, like like crazy abuse, right? By, the, by their family, by, by whatever is going on in their life, right? They're suffering from extreme trauma. They need to be out of their, their home environment. And because they're 17, they can't. And that was so hard for a long period of time of having these discussions with people who are like, like for example, my, one of my closest friends, she, she was in a situation where um, she had gotten, like, she'd gotten homeless and, uh, like just due to like family circumstances. And like one of the first thoughts that like went into my mind was like, is, 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 is foster care a potential opportunity for you? But because she was 18 at the time, she wasn't able to like, uh, to get the access to the services. And it's like, but she's still in high school. She's still, she, like, she dropped out for a year. She had an additional year that she needs to get done at that point. Like, yes, like the legislation says this, but it's like, that they're still a youth, right? They're still a kid, right? They're still trying to figure it out. Um, and that, I don't know. It always made it really difficult to kind of see the silver lining in these events. But then when, when you would, when you would see like the one-off, like for example, I think, I don't know if it was Manitoba or Saskatchewan, they increased the age of, uh, of support to 25. Yeah. Um, and they were, and everyone has been put, we've been pushing this for forever, right? Just increasing the age of support to 25 and they finally did it. And it was because of these conversations revolved around promoting discussions and talking about like the hardships of like, like young children, like young youth face, like after like turning 18. I, I think one of the challenges, I, at least in Ontario, in my experience that I've seen is that like there are agencies that will write reports. And we'll have bookshelves full of reports and rooms full of reports. And, you know, it's great to have reports. I, I'm just remembering, it, you know. <laughs> like, the storage facility at the basement of the Ontario Child Advocate and, like, the wall that we had yeah. in Auburn. Like, I mean, and, you know, it's them. It, and yeah. there's other agencies that, you know, have a whole bunch of reports. And they're great. Yeah. I think they're a good starting point. I think often what generally happens is that, like, they stop there. Or they just make recommendations to the government. And like, so what at that point, yeah. right? Like I'm someone, because of my early years in advocacy, as much as I am the one that plants the seed, I still want to see action. Yeah, no. <laughs> you know, like w at that point, you've written reports, you're making recommendations. The seed is planted, you know, the tree is starting to grow. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do something at this point. And I love that you use the analogy of the seed because... One of the biggest things that I would talk about in my last year working at the Ontario Child Advocate Office and when the closure came was a big point of discussion was grassroots advocacy and grassroots like projects and initiatives. And um, when the closure was happening, all the initiatives were in limbo because they were just like, well, we have reports that we have to get done. We have communities that we have to serve. But once this is done, like, how are we going to continue like helping and interacting with them? And my biggest thing was always just like, if we take the time to, to actually establish like communities and relationships with people in the community, we don't have to, we don't have to be the pillar of, 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 we don't have to be the voice. Like the Ontario Child Advocate Office wouldn't have to be the advocate because everyone else would. And, I, and I'm so, so sad. Like when I, when I first found out about the Ontario Child Advocate Office, that was the potential that I saw in the office was 
Ir- like was Erwin Elman and his team focusing on legislative like advocacy, utilizing their 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 position like being like a government organization to then help like help actually like get projects in communities started and then be like ha- collaborate with those community partners rather than collaborating with other a- agencies, right? Um, and that's why over the years, like my perception of advocacy really changed from like, I originally wanted to be a policy writer and like wanted to like do that. So Same. <laughs> I think every, everyone who works at the advocate office at Same. one point in time wants to be a policy writer. That's just, that's just something that comes into your mind. And you're like, you're like, oh, like political science, oh, I could do policy, maybe, you know? <laughs> um, and then I realized I'm like, my advocacy it needs to be in a way that makes me feel like I'm I'm fulfilled and that I'm also doing like and, and saying the good work that I need. And when you presented the opportunity for this podcast, I was like, this is this is grassroots advocacy in its essence. Right. And I would do projects with uh, with other people in the community, focusing on like raising awareness about like different community events. When we were at the Interior Child Advocate, we were lucky enough to actually do like a small grassroots kind of uh, event called Passion Action, where we brought like, uh, it was for like Afrocentric youth. We brought industry professionals from like, who were lawyers, who were like, uh, who owned radio stations, who, who had, I, I wanna be very careful saying this, but um, who had, there were role models, they were unsuspected role models. Like a lot, and like the idea, like our case study was pretty much like, the reason why we made the event was we saw uh, and an ornament like imbalance of minstrelsy like promotion for like career opportunities for Afrocentric youth, and we we're just like that's not that's not everything that Black people have to offer to the world, right? We can be doctors, we can be lawyers, we can be like radio station owners, right? So we got the we got the the the, uh, the founder of Flow ninety three five to come in do a little workshop. We had a couple other like uh, lawyers, couple um, people who did um, like art projects and like who were photographers, um, like facilitate a couple events, and that like really showed me it's like we don't even though the office like helped did this, we like the office doesn't need to be there to do yes. this stuff. And I think, I mean, who knows what the advocate's office would have eventually further evolved into. I think they were in that direction slowly, but um, I think generally speaking, any agency that writes reports is great. However, <laughs> no, yeah, you, however, you, you know, heavy, like, however. <laughs> yes, yeah, I mean, because for me, advocacy is about like, it's not just about the reports and it's not just about shining the light on the issue. It's about having working with the community so the community can advocate for themselves. Right. And giving them the means that they need to advocate. Right. Like it's places, capacity development exactly, on a community scale. Exactly. Yeah. You know, places like the advocate's office and a whole bunch of other places out there, their role, in my opinion, should be or should have. Yeah, should be because there's some that still exist. <laughs> Is that, you know, they're kind of like going in, they're helping a bit, they're working with the community, giving them the resources, and they're not fully abandoning the community. They're still always going to be there. You step back but and you touch up exactly. and, you, and, you, and you follow up with yeah. them. And, yeah. and that's, and that's the, I think that I wish if in a perfect world, I would actually change the way how the reports came out. I'd have actually rather than have an event prompt like the need for to make the report, I would have loved it to see the events happen 
and then follow-ups like with the individual projects that spawn from those initiatives from that event and then make a report off of that talking about the community and how they were doing rather than just talking about like because at the end of the day you need to talk about the lived experiences of the young people but you can't just like so many i remember like my one of my interviews that i had at the ontario child advocate office i actually like had an, like my first like emotional breakdown like and panic attack like because i was reading uh a publication that was done by the office about like leaving home right and like uh um and like leaving like leaving the care system and like for me that unearthed like a bunch of just like trauma that like i i, I didn't take the time to properly like deal with but it's like that's that's all the publications that were done. Like every single one talks about like the atrocities that happen to the young people in care. And like it, it leads to the end where we talk about the recommendations of things that we want to have like be implemented in legislation. But it doesn't actually leave you on a note where you're like, maybe will things get better? Is there actually action happening? Right. And I think that's the big piece with any agency that is advocating and writing reports is. You have these recommendations. Where are they going? Right. And I'm not saying this is easy work at all because like it is a lot of work. You have these recommendations. You got to have meetings. If you're putting it into legislation, you got to really push for that. You got to have the right connection. Yeah, you got to get lobbied yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. You, th- there's a whole thing. Right. But I mean, y- you can't just let recommendations just sit like, I mean, I'll speak from the we have something to say project my favorite project because I worked on it. (laughs) You know, I saw a lot of potential there, right? And I I saw it as being one of the biggest projects the office could have had. If I'm going to be honest with you, working with the We Have Something to Say team, I realized that too. Right. There was just like, like we had, we did a small video that never even got published on like transit accessibility. Right. And And anything really you know and, and that's really because like any part of society you know is where disability is going to be touching exactly. in my opinion so it had huge potential and you know i worked on the report i was part of the report love the report well written have some critiques but you know overall good mm-hmm. the recommendations were good but they were just recommendations. It's kind of like saying like you have this youth advisory committee. Oh, I was just going to go into that. And yeah. like, you know, like you have a youth and I'm not just talking, I'm talking across the board with any agency. You have a youth advisory committee. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, they're just advising. It's up to the agency's board or their managers to take that information and see what they want from that. Yeah. I don't believe in that. I think you should have a youth board who's making decisions or you should be on a board right? That makes decisions to actually start making change. Yeah. Right. Because sometimes for me, reports are just advising, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. We need to, I think in the advocacy field, start moving away from just advising. Yeah. And how do we really start making change and how do we start working from uh, an education perspective? Because sometimes the reports are about pointing the finger at someone. Yeah. And I don't believe at pointing the finger. I believe that like, you, we got to work to do. Let's have that conversation and let's see if we can possibly change that perspective and yeah. let's come together. Right. We're going to have different views, but let's somehow start that, you know, start the ball rolling. The pointing of the finger is just I mean, there's a, a place for it, but I think it's slowly starting to phase out. Yeah. No, I 
I don't know how many times I would be like, I think, sorry, I think one of the greatest things that the Ontario Todd Advocate did was the residential service use panel, which I was lucky enough to be on. And it was because that was a joint collaboration between the Ministry of Children and Youth, the Ontario Child Advocate Office, and then them. So like what they had done was they had a panel of service providers and they had a panel of young people. And from each one of the mandated areas underneath that Bill 89, um, and each one of us was able to speak to our own lived experience and like actually like once we got through talking about like the stuff that we wanted to talk, we actually got to work on legis on like regulations. And that was like the craziest thing for me, which is kind of what like made me think, oh, poli science may be a possibility <laughs> because I was actually working on policy. We had like meetings where we had policy like workshops. We had policy writers coming from the ministry talking to us about like ways that we could modify some. We would literally get like documents of like just text, text, text of just legislation that like are, and here are some of the ideas that we had that were implemented and we'd just be able to go over and be like, is this, ex is this close to what, like, what you were trying to say? Even though it was in legal jargon, like we had that respect and that level of involvement in every single process. And when I, funny that you mentioned in the past about that uh, presentation at Humber, because I've done that presentation in the uh -huh. past <laughs> with James. And every one of, app at one yeah, point. Yeah, <laughs> at one point. Cause you're just like, you're like, yo, you wanna go, you wanna not be at the office for the day? Yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> But um, one, of the, one of the things that I always mention was that uh, my experience from the residential panel and the fact that like youth governments, like youth governments is the future. It really is a matter of like, if you, like young people have the capacity to be able to run projects, like get like grant funding and like facilitate events with thousands of people on their own. So then why don't we take that time to just do that across the board and implement young people at every single level like every, i think that every single like an ideal world every organization has a youth department that focuses and maintains and, rem and reminds the rest of the office that like there are this is an audience this is a demographic that you need to uh, uh, you need to appreciate and actually invest in rather than just fluff. you know yeah fluff you know fluff. rather than just being like oh yeah pat on the back you guys did great oh you guys are so resilient Right. Or, you know, sometimes what ends up becoming is we're just going to dot our I's and cross our T's and say we have an advisory, right? Or say that we've talked to young people. And it's, it, it's more than that. I mean, and I've struggled with it in the past. And I was in a training at York doing um, anti-black racism training. And the facilitator is the one that just put the idea in my head that like youth should make up like 30%, let's say, of an agency's board, right? And there's value in that. And I know some of the listeners may be saying, well, how about if you're five years old and blah, 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 blah. However, I just want to disclose, I work from a, an adultism perspective where I believe that young people as whatever uh, children all the way up to 25 there's value in their opinions and it's our jobs as adults to really meet them where they're at and not use like adult type language right because like you know you, you spoke to saying that you got some of that legal jargon mm -hmm. i mean that was great but like it still should be broken down in a sense yeah but then like we would have conversation about like how to interpret it and that oh, okay. was the value right it's because it was just like not only were we like, and, and, and that's, and it was a matter of like people meeting, it, it, like the, the Ministry of Children and Youth, like 
they don't even exist anymore in the I same know. name. <laughs> <laughs> but like when they were around, like and that team that we worked with, they were phenomenal. Like uh, Miriam, Ashley, uh, Celeste, uh, um, Nan, Nan, yeah, it's Nancy. Like all those women were um, amazing. Oh, sorry, not Nancy, Anna. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Anna. Uh, but all those women were amazing, and like, and and ensuring that us as like we like us being youth would never be a problem in this process of us like being able to understand and be able to have like the same meaningful discussions and involvement as like the other service provider panel was doing yeah i know that that sounds like a seamless yeah (laughs) way of doing it because like i'm like one of the one of the biggest i'm not even gonna i'm not gonna say i'm not gonna say a name i'm not gonna identify it but one of the biggest feeling like hardest hardships for me was being an advisory member finishing a report and then having another meeting and being like so what's next and then you're like yes there are issues in the community to talk about and there are so many that we could go from but like shouldn't it be <laughs> yeah <laughs> we do just some, wrote a report yeah <laughs> shouldn't it be like we should do some work about that <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, no, I've been, you know, when I was classified as a youth being part of, you know, advisory meetings or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like, it would just be these, you know, I, you felt a sense of like, they're just doing it just to say that they're doing it. Like, so what now? Like, you know, like if you're part of the report, like, don't just ask me like blanketed statements like don't just do dotmocracy with me and then make yeah, me feel like i'm yeah. important please like I, i've been in <laughs> youth in committees that you know would say okay so what people do you think we should invite and then we would have back talks you know in the room without the youth and saying oh actually we should not invite these people and you know like i i think like l- let's invite everyone <laughs> in my opinion exactly <laughs> yeah like the residential service youth panel i think is a great template to move forward with government organizations implementing young people to be a part of the discussion. And I think that like one of the most interesting things that I actually realized and it was the silver lining and Doug Ford kind of cutting our umbilical cord um, was I realized that there was a lot of opportunities for grant funding like that that maybe I didn't pay attention to beforehand or just popped up at, at the same time all this happening, but that we're like helping to promote like grassroots initiatives and funding and, um, and like getting like those, that those pieces of advocacy out there. Oh, shoot. I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> I mean, the, yeah. I, I just want to speak a little bit to the grassroots piece though, yeah. because I mean, grassroots, I've done a lot of grassroots advocacy. And this it, is grassroots yeah, advocacy. Yeah. yeah. And it's a pain sometimes, mm-hmm. to be honest. I mean, like, sometimes, well, in the early years, not that I've been part of CYC podcast for like 50 years, but like <laughs> when I first started it uh, with Wolfgang, you know, I sometimes would question, like, where are these conversations going? Because we have very rich conversations on this podcast, yeah. right? And you know, that's part of the struggle of the grassroots pieces. We don't have a lot of grassroots um, advocacy. You know, those groups don't have sometimes the means to do that. Right. Yeah. And that's where those agency report people come in. <laughs> no, exactly. I mean, we're in an agency report 
studio <laughs> shout out to taking it global thank you so much yes <laughs> you're awesome yeah but i think yeah what i was yeah was gonna say was i think this is a great segue to to talk about the fact that due to the fact that there is a, now a new opportunity with the with the ontario child advocate not being around there and not being that pillar in the community i think that like it's a, it was a double-edged sword in the sense that the Ontario Cat Advocate Office was like the de facto like advocate, right? Like you go there, like anything happened, right? You go to there, but it was also is also like a detriment to itself because it ended up getting overutilized by like everyone and not being able to like fo- target and focus itself on the things that it actually wanted to do, and like working with an organization like taking it global that focuses on like specifically like grassroots initiatives and focusing on developing the projects and helping young people get their ideas and their advocacy across the world in any meaningful way that they can. That's the future of advocacy. And I think that's the direction that young people are going with like things like the climate strike happening and like individual like like young youth advocates like going to like the UN like council and like and things like and having discussions and talking about these things and treat and being treated like professionals first before being treated like children. Yes, agreed. Um I think we should slowly end up ending the episode, but I didn't get a chance to answer to ask you our trademark question. <laughs> Speaking of advocacy, yeah. <laughs> what does advocacy mean to you? If this podcast didn't answer it already. <laughs> I, I genuinely think that advocacy really is just about developing the space for people to be able to share their ideas and really respecting what they have to say, respecting that you would want your ideas to be treated with the same respect as they would and really not marginalizing young people by like for being young and being inexperienced like i remember so many times that i would have like ideas like for like for me like i applied to the ontario the ontario child advocate office three times to like work there and um for the like when I was volunteering with them for the three years, I like would always like suggest like communication ideas. I come from a communications background. So like I was always like, we should we knew for this for social. Why isn't this a video? This report is cool, but like we should be like maybe like modulating it and making it so we can put it on different platforms so other people have access to it rather than just being a publication. That really like all this stuff like really made me realize that advocacy like in any medium, it comes in any medium in any form, but it really is just like, as long as the message is like as true as it is, as true as it can be to like, to what it's trying to get across, put it out there. I love it. I think it's a good way to end our fruitful discussion. (laughs) Thank you for being on the show twice. (laughs) Uh, Your right to speak will be posted on the second Wednesday of every month. Uh, If you're a child or youth that would like to be on the show, or if you have an idea of what topic you think we should be talking about, you can email me at yourrighttospeak at gmail.com. That's Y-O-U-R-R-I-G-H-T-T-O-S-P-E-A-K at G-M-A-I-L dot C-O-M. Let's raise awareness together.